around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Unlock jet lag mode. Yeah? <laughs> what, what time is it in your head and your heart right now? Uh, boy, I guess in my head it is 8 p.m. And oh. in, in my reality it is 1 p.m. Wow. Yeah. Seven off. What time did you wake up this morning? I, I woke up very early. I I slept ten hours last night because uh, the night before last I was uh, economy middle seating my way back from Africa. Ask anyone and they'll tell you that's the only way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It was like a it was a big project that I was working on in uh, yeah. Dakar, Senegal, and there were a lot of organizations and different. Uh, companies and groups of people and um, like right on the last night as we're all heading to the airport one of the organizations like raised a concern that like some of us were flying first class and some were not and I like as somebody who was not flying first class I was like I don't really like respect the choice to like in a in a big like work slack meeting essentially like start throwing rocks about uh you know how the travel was booked because it's it's not a great look but also i kind of hope like some emergency button gets hit and somebody releases like the funds that it would take to upgrade like me and the dozen other people who aren't flying first class oh no yeah (laughs) because you knew at that point you were staring down the barrel of a middle yeah man one of the few scenarios where bulkhead seat backfires mm-hmm. is when uh, it's overnight bulkhead seat and you're sitting next to your wife because you don't have the armrest that flips up, you know? Like, right. You, like, the one thing you have when you're traveling with your spouse is you can, you can use your spouse as a bed, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that with any other seatmate on an airplane. But, uh, you know, we we would have loved to, except for uh, there's like an immovable, uh, you know, armrest that has a tray table and a, you know, LCD screen tucked in it. Wow. And your coworkers in first had yeah. no such problems. <laughs> yeah. God, I would feel like a real asshole if if I were one of those people. And yet not too big of an asshole to relinquish my first class seat, probably. Right. Yeah. So wow. uh, <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Uh, it was a great trip though. Uh, I highly recommend Dakar, Senegal. If, uh, if anybody has the means and opportunity to get there, uh, one of, one of the great cities in my experience. Sounds like it. you took a lot of great pictures. I tried it to. It's like a beautiful place. I, I was, uh, I was working most of the time, so I, it wasn't like quite as photography rich a, a trip as I would have liked it to be, but, um, Look at yeah. you getting a video job, Ben. I know. I have an extremely that? an extremely limited list of clients, limited to one client. <laughs> and uh, they do work in interesting places, and I'm always looking to add stamps to the old passport. So, uh, you know, and then this, uh, it was cool because it kind of turned into a subsidized vacation for my wife and I, because we had like a couple of days on either side of the jobby job part of it. There you go. And uh, we went to an, a lake that's like super salinated. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's very salty. It's like way saltier uh-huh. than the ocean and even saltier than the Dead Sea. So you basically like float on the top of it. Wow. It's like really, really fun to be in. And they're like, you can do it for like 15 minutes, but then definitely rinse off or you'll get a disease. <laughs> oh, good note. <laughs> yeah. Like the people, there are people that it's, it's so salty that they like use it to cultivate salt for cooking. And, uh-huh. and like the mud at the bottom of this lake is just like, it's like mud with salt crystals in it, like big chunky salt crystals. And oh, does it, did it chop up your feet? 
No, it actually kind of exfoliated them. They felt really great after I got out. And then they both had to be amputated uh, about an hour after getting out, right? Right. <laughs> well, there are people that like that like work at the lake, like cultivating salt, and they take salt up out of it and like put it in baskets and like rinse the mud out in uh-huh. the water and then uh, you know dry it. And that's uh, you know various various versions of that are sold for various things. When you'd go eat at restaurants, would that be the salt that would be on the table and and seasoning your food and stuff? I'm not sure, but they said that they could only like work in the water two days a week, and they had to like coat themselves with shea butter or something, you know, like something kind of impermeable to wow. prevent like too much osmotic water loss. You didn't have that kind of work week, but that didn't stop you from coating yourself in shea butter, huh? No, yeah, I was I was well lubricated. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, glad to have you back, Ben. Yeah. It uh, it granted me the rare week off of podcasting. I know. Stuck Rob with a rapid, less than 24-hour turnaround on an episode of The Greatest Discovery. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing that uh, I was like, I was like there in Senegal, and I was like, I wonder if I can watch... Star Trek Discovery on Netflix since I'm here. And I totally did. Really? Yeah. I like downloaded the episode on my iPad using like when I like logged into the Netflix app on my iPad, it was just like one of the shows. Hmm. And uh it says like a Netflix original series at the beginning of it and uh yeah. <laughs> wow, really, weird. Yeah. And in like a kind of Star Trek y font, like it's like such a strange mirror universe that we live in. <laughs> So yeah. we have to watch it on CBS All Access. So weird. Well, uh, in an effort to get this to Rob's as quickly as possible, what do you say we get to it, Ben? Let's do it. It is what at one point was going to be the season finale for this season, but then uh, late in the game they split it into a two-parter. This is the first of those two parts. It's Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 13, Such Sweet Sorrow. Ben, it's an episode that gives us 15 minutes of cold open. Yeah, it is a long-ass cold open. Kind of wild, huh? We're, we're at room temperature by the time we get the titles. Yeah, and an episode this tense could only start uh, with a, a beach hang. <laughs> uh, oh Sarek is, uh, is soaking up some rays on the sandy banks of Lake Vulcan. And, uh, you know, the great thing about beaches on Vulcan is that every beach is public. <laughs> he chooses not to go topless, which I think is a mistake, you know, given the libertine nature of Vulcans. Sure. His, his katra makes him realize that his, uh, his adopted daughter is in big, big trouble. It's a real Citizen Kane moment. Like, they, they rack in on Sarek's face. He drops the snow globe. Mm-hmm. He says the, the name Michael. Yeah, and then in a in a Unshan Andalu twist, a razor blade comes down and slices his eyeball open. Oh, <laughs> you know what? They would do that on this show. This show hates eyeballs. Yeah, <laughs> it's primarily an eyeball trauma show, and secondarily yeah. a Star Trek franchise. <laughs> we cut directly to some evacuation scenes aboard the Disco, and in. Star Trek Generations, and in uh, many other of my favorite Star Trek programming, I love an evacuation scene. Yeah. It's great. And this one's fun. Yeah. We get to see like so much of the mechanics of how this works, and I don't know if we've ever seen... Have we ever seen like a ship-to-ship evacuation quite like this? No. It reminded me of the umbilicals that Starbases use to get onto and off of starships. Like totally. in TNG, you would see these ships from the inside of star bases, and then they, there would be these corridors. It kind of reminded me of that, but I don't think we've ever seen anything like this on a show, how the how the ships kind of spoon together yeah. and deploy these things. Really interesting to see like a very comparable, like a shot where you can actually see what the scale is of yeah. the entrepreneur to the discovery. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that this discovery was like 10 or 20% bigger than the entrepreneur. Yeah, it was really neat to see them cozied up so close. Like the nacelle of the disco fits neatly behind the shuttle bay of the Mm -hmm. Enterprise, for example. Like things just kind of fit interestingly. 
Yeah. It's like Meg Ryan and uh, Nick Cage in that movie about him being an, an angel. <laughs> they just fit together perfectly. <laughs> um, I also thought a little bit about like the design constraints of ships that have to have like four parallel points across their star drive sections that can be hooked together with these yeah. bridges. Like, do, do all Starfleet ships have the same... Like, are they like Legos where they're all interoperable perfectly in this way? I, yeah. I mean, I would like to know that. It's, <laughs> it would seem so. We have a point of data. <laughs> yeah, we, we have one and we won't have a trend until we see this two more times. Yeah. And uh, I'm here for it, man. <laughs> Evacuate yeah. all the ships. Let's see it. Yeah. It's crazy how walking down one of these evacuation corridors makes the whites of your eyes look. Like later on, when Pike and Saru are walking down one, Pike's eyes are like a flame. They are crazy white. Yeah, I think I would maybe counsel, if I was on the redesign committee for the uh, escape bridge, I might counsel using like a physical barrier rather than a force field barrier for these Mm. things. Like I know that they're going to take a lot more space up in packing, but like how many times have like power outages been a concern for a ship? And like, do you really want to like worry about the power going out and just venting instantaneously into space because the bridge went away? What you want to use is hotel conference room partition technology. <laughs> we can turn a 40,000 square foot room into two 20,000 square foot halves. <laughs> <laughs> through the deployment of this accordion-style wall. <laughs> that way, the backstage of your doctor conference <laughs> can, be, <laughs> can be well concealed from the participants. <laughs> Have you been watching this season of This Old? We've only seen two episodes of... The, uh, the mid-century uh, modern one is what I'm talking about, is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we've only seen two episodes of that. I'm not... We're, we usually watch those on the weekends, so I don't know if anything's come out in the last couple. Pretty great season, man. Yeah. Pretty great to have Roger back on the scene also. Yeah. Looking looking a little bit worse for wear, but, uh, yeah. but like bouncing back. So we're going to make this hole nine foot six. Pike and Burnham are talking about the plan ahead, and they are kind of the last two remaining on the ship. This is another thing that I really love is like when... When the evacuation's done, there's always two to sort of lock the door behind them. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've got to do. They've got to set the self-destruct sequence before leaving. Burnham is uh, is pretty, has a lot of, like, despite this being her idea, has some major misgivings about this being the solution to the problem. Because it is kind of looking like the uh, saving her mom thing is becoming less likely. She's got she's got one job to do, which is pack up the time crystal. And uh, despite uh, all of the admonitions she's been given against touching it, she just can't help herself. Yeah, Pike in this scene is also still shattered from his own experience. Like, not strongly warning her against it, but just sort of like floating through the scene mm-hmm. detachedly. The scene made me wonder what is stopping control from sending its own copy of the sphere archive back like do we know i mean you asking that question made me wonder why contrelin doesn't go to boreth knowing where these things are from right and getting his own yeah contreland is partly leland who already acquired one right <laughs> yeah wait a second but why did he destroy the suit like why, why not just take the suit in lieu of destroying it Oh, because it's coded to to Ma to Burnham? Burnham's. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The the problems with time travel writing continue apace. <laughs> right. Michael touches the crystal and sees a couple of bad things. But uh but she doesn't get like a fully developed montage like we'll get a little bit later on. No. We get a a handprint scene with Saru and Captain Pike. Insert dog penis fingers here. <laughs> Much to my chagrin, Pike's handprint does not line up with where his hand is on the on the thing. <laughs> uh-huh. like, Saru's does a little bit, but it, I don't know. I guess it's I guess it's maybe not supposed to be their handprint because Saru's looks pretty humanoid, which is a bit of a normative design decision. Like I guess 
you you could be forgiven as a Starfleet engineer for depict like assuming that humans are going to be the ones setting the ship to self-destruct. It's it's metatarsal normative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It did drive me kind of crazy that Pike's fingers weren't quite aligned and I was like just take the shot again like just do yeah. it again with you know it doesn't even have to be Anson Mount's hand. You could use a a hand stand in. A hand in, if you will. Uh huh. <laughs> Could be a hand in. Could uh, be a couple of hands in. Yeah. That's what you're feeling like. Yeah. As many as will fit. <laughs> that's that's my that's my thoughts on the matter. Um and then we go uh on to the entrepreneur, which uh looks great. They uh I feel like they did a really fun job of using some of the design elements of TOS enterprise like the the kind of like meshy wall material that is occasionally deployed uh like the color scheme and everything but but it is done in a you know in a modern way and on a modern budget it's crazy how they were able to pull this off like it doesn't seem like it would work especially color scheme wise yeah but much like like in the seventies, there was a there was a color orange that they painted their their sports cars mm-hmm. that went away at the end of the seventies. That you're starting to see again on modern vehicles, and it makes me feel the same way. Like this color shouldn't work, but when you <laughs> paint it on something like a starship, it just does. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I I'm with you. I love all of the things they brought forward that seem miraculous now that we're seeing them like those red grates the turbo lift handle was so cool like the shadows above the turbo lift doors on the bridge that were from tos yeah it was amazing to see those all those little touches are great yeah yeah and uh i mean like the the captain's chair is the same like all the same like block shapes used but just it looks slick and cool and new they uh they got the people who did the touring bridge exhibit to make bridge buttons for this set. Wow. And they totally like used the original castings. Cool. And again, like just verbalizing that, that sounds dumb. That shouldn't work. <laughs> totally works. Like yeah. there's a ring of those buttons around the entire bridge and it totally fits. Yeah. I mean, like they spent a lot of money on this set. It's hard for me to imagine that the Enterprise doesn't come back into play frequently in the future, right? I hope so. I mean, people petitioned the studio to create a series for Anson Mount and Captain Pike and the Enterprise. Like, these are people who don't know how petitions work and don't know how <laughs> studios work. And maybe, like, should be burning their democracy energy on other way more pressing issues right now. <laughs> and yet, I think it speaks to how people feel seeing a scene like this and and experiencing what it's been like to to be with Captain Pike for an entire season. I mean, I think he's earned a lot of goodwill. Yeah. Uh, he has been great. I like, is your sense that one of the kind of running gags of discovery will be that there's a bit of a new captain each season? I don't know. Like, are they, are they going to settle on a captain? It doesn't, it doesn't seem possible to me. Maybe that's the deal. But I think by the time we get to the end of this season, I mean, they may be in a position where, that is the 10th most important question that they're asking. Right. The other thing I wanted to talk about with, with this is it, how weird it is to see the kind of athleisure look of Discovery's uniforms up against the kind of go-go look of Enterprise's uniforms. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like like that, they did a good job of finding like a middle point for the Enterprise uniforms in terms of making them seem like they were issued by the same organization but also look like looking a, a bit like the 60s television show it's but, not confrontational but it makes you confront the idea because they're spending time together in this tight space yeah and everybody that works on the enterprise wears like leather boot boots and everybody that works on the discovery wears like air yeezys <laughs> you know yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't i didn't even think of it but the Discovery is such a laid-back ship in that way. Like everybody's just wearing sneakers to work. It's kind of like the the tech startup of Starfleet vessels. 
right to the enterprise's like more traditional uh business setting yeah the uh the dress code is a major selling point that commissary major <laughs> selling point <laughs> yeah they have so many different kinds of breakfast cereal <laughs> i tried to get a job at uh, at bloomberg directing videos for them one time and i i like really needed the job at the time but i was also like i had deep misgivings about working for like a big media organization and uh the, the one thing that the, about the interview that really made me feel like i might want to do it is how how dope the <laughs> free food available was yeah i uh i worked for a company that that charged for food on campus and charged a lot damn and the food wasn't that good it was a real bummer yeah. It makes a big difference. Well, so they get up on the bridge. Pike is back at in the captain's seat, uh, which is relinquished by Admiral Bob, uh, his number one, played by Rebecca Romaine. Kind of reiterates the holographic comms self-dunk that this season uh, did on Discovery. I think it would have been cool to have just a little bit more between number one and Admiral Bob. Yeah. I get the feeling that they wouldn't get along for some reason. Like, they seem like very intense people. I mean, number one is depicted as being like an insanely competent officer, so... Like, type capital A. <laughs> she's she's like, by the way, I, uh, I created a fleet of fighter ships so that the last episode of this season will be very exciting. <laughs> and he's like, good work. <laughs> That's a, I mean, that's a great hire right there. That goes back to the beginning for Pike. Yeah. You know, you want to you wanna surround yourself with the best. So they pull out to kind of a safe distance uh, to, to watch the disco self-destruct sequence complete its work. And uh, it does not. Something wrong with the, uh, with the self-destruct. <laughs> They're like toggling the button off and on a couple of times. Yeah. Like holding it. <laughs> Nothing's Fuck, happening. even in the future, nothing works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and this is a problem, but Pike uh, is very unflappable, so he orders a, uh, a volley of torpedoes, but the disco puts its shields up and uh, seems to be invulnerable to torpedo fire. So uh, this, is, this is about when Michael has her much more cogent uh, time crystal acid flashback. And she actually sees a kind of a, a vision of the future in which uh, the Discovery and the Enterprise are battling a bunch of Contrelin ships. The Enterprise is in a really bad way with a, with like an unexploded piece of ordnance lodged in its hull and no farmer hoggett and cork to disarm it. It always happens that way, right? Like just before a big event, you get an unexploded torpedo in your saucer. Yeah. And you have to just go out like that. Yeah. It's embarrassing. (laughs) What you want to do is get like one of those um, like masks, one of those face masks, you know? Right. Like maybe with like kind of like a a lot of sulfur as an active ingredient. Just dry it out. In a pinch you can use a a really hot washcloth. Yeah. You know, kind of work that thing out. Yeah. They say not to pop them, but it's so satisfying. I know. (laughs) Um, Ben... Contrelin executes everyone on this bridge, like, savagely. Yeah, it's a real beginning of Wrath of Khan, where yeah. you, uh, you you get to watch everybody you love die. And, uh, yeah. and he, like, Darth Vader's Michael Burnham by the face, picks her up off the ground by the face, and he goes, Where is the Spear Archive? What have you done with those plans? And she goes, we intercepted no transmission. This is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission. (laughs) Oh, so many people are going to be happy (laughs) because of you. Yeah, I'm here to I'm here to do that for them. Contreelin sure does have an appreciation for the dramatic, right? Yeah. He doesn't have to do it this way. He has a Giorgio level flair for it, I might say. Yeah. Michael Burnham flashes back, like, sort of snaps back into the reel. Stop! And she snaps back, like, to a little bit before what, uh, when she left, right? Like, she snaps back to prior to the the torpedoes going out, which 
Is this why there was a shot that was played in reverse mm. when they were shooting torpedoes at the ship? Did you notice this? I did not. So they shoot two torpedoes at the ship, and then they cut around the, the bridge personnel, Burnham being one of them, and they play that shot in reverse. The person behind Michael Burnham is walking backwards. Oh, and the audio is played backwards also. Hmm. But then in the very next shot after that, we're in forward time again. So it's not like um I feel like, like it's a mistake. I don't think they're I don't think they're trying to say something about it. Well, if they're no. playing the audio in reverse, I feel that makes me see, think it's more hmm. intentional. Yeah. What's that terrible Christian Bale movie with Tay Diggs where he uh uses gun karate? Equilibrium? Yeah. <laughs> How did sh- I have that on the top of my head? Jeez. <laughs> That's so useless. A lot of more important shit you could know, but you do know the title to Equilibrium. <laughs> God, so um, dumb. There's a shot in that where uh, Christian Bale and Tay Diggs get out of their uh, space car and the the uh, exhaust is like going back into the tailpipe. <laughs> and it's it's like, it's one of those like... Ooh, that's an embarrassing mistake. Like, we needed a shot of two guys getting out of a car, and we didn't have that coverage, so we had to reverse a shot (laughs) getting into it. (laughs) That's great. And, like, no one gets into a car the same way they get out of it. That had to look fucking bizarre. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what a fucking great Tay Diggs role is? Is the way of the gun. Oh, yeah. He's like... I think he's like sixth billing in that movie, but he is so great in it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember that scene where he's doing the hostage negotiation on the phone and he has to act like he's totally put out by by what's being demanded? (laughs) That is is such (laughs) a crazy movie. It's one of my favorite moments. (laughs) My name is Winston. Winston Shakespeare. The plan was suggested a couple episodes ago of why don't we like pump the time travel suit full of the sphere archive and send it into the future where control won't be able to get at it. And it, when that was suggested, everybody was like, there was a lot of pushback on it. You know, there was so much concern that, that it would be going out of control's reach, but also out of their control. So therefore too mm. risky a move, but that plan kind of goes back to the top of the list, right? It's, let's send discovery so far into the future that control won't be able to get at the data stored in its computers. We're really lucky that there's not a character with the last name reach. (laughs) Otherwise the show would be impossible to talk about. Make no sense. Yeah. So they convene a McLaughlin group. Issue one. They decide that they've got to make a suit because they have the plans for one, but it's probably just going to be a one way trip. And also, there are two Red Angels, because they can tell that one of the Red Angels was piloted by Michael Burnham herself. And this conversation happened so quickly yeah. that, that it should be a total bomb dropped in the room. And it's not. It's just, it's like red as summary. I mean, I think that we've kind of done the math on that already as viewers, right? Like, yeah. Dr. Culber was dead certain that the Red Angel was Michael Burnham, and then it wasn't Michael Burnham. The explanation for that was a genetic similarity, but it turns out that the genetic similarity is actually the reason that the suit can be rebuilt for her, right. not not the reason that uh, she's not the Red Angel. Because she is, man. I like a lot of the things hinted at in this scene. Yeah. Michael recognizing that it's her and being unable to articulate her possible future reasons for doing the things that she is definitely doing. Like, that mystery is great. And I also like just the swaggering confidence of Captain Pike in this moment, because he's like, everything that has happened with these red red beacons so far has been intentional and, and designed, and I like I still totally trust that. Like, trust the process. I love... Pike volunteering for a suicide mission, knowing that he won't die during it, I think is a superpower that (laughs) is so subtle here. Totally. He wants the suit made for him. He knows it's not going to kill him in the process. He can't tell anyone. Right. I love it. But uh, there is is one issue, which is uh, they need 1.21 gigawatts of electricity to get back to the future. 
and uh, you know they don't have plutonium like they did before. Ben, the only thing that can generate that amount of power is a bolt of lightning. <laughs> What's that? A bolt of lightning. <laughs> what the hell is a gigawatt? I think Giorgio has exactly two scenes in this episode, and both of them are fucking home runs. One of them is the moment where she proposes creating a supernova by detonating a bomb inside of a nova. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just take a nova and make it super. Yeah. Killer move. And everyone just fucking makes fun of her. Yeah. They're like, I that's think a, that idea needs to be on the table. That's a garbage idea, Georgia. <laughs> where is Spock on this? That's a total needs of the many versus needs of the few situation. Like, it, if it comes down to it, I think you've got to take Giorgio's plan for action. It would be really interesting to see him like realign in that moment with with a, a Terran, you know? Yeah, there's a logical sense to this proposal. Yeah. And uh, but- fucking Admiral Bob, fuck you, Bob. You were willing to destroy uh, Kronos like last season, so give me a fucking break. <laughs> they get a call that there's another signal. They got to run up to the bridge. This is the fifth of seven. <laughs> they have a kind of like video game world map looking list of the of the locations of the signals up on the screen which i really liked Mm -hmm. so this is level five and i guess the last episode is we're going to be where we're going to see what levels six and seven are i'm hoping for snow level and sewer level it's it's a very nes dragon warrior situation (laughs) yeah this signal comes from a planet that uh your girl Anson Tilly is uh, quite familiar with. That's right, Ben. It's Zahia. It's the home planet of uh, of Poe. From the Short Treks episode. I think this is one thing that's going to go in the W column for both of us, which was arguing for these Short Treks are probably going to be important for the season we're about to watch. Yeah. I think that's something we we felt at the time. Maybe I'm just retroactively making myself smart. <laughs> I'd rather be lucky than smart, and I think that's what I'll take credit for this time around. Yeah, but um, I, I enjoyed a lot about the episode that uh, introduced the premise of Planet Zahia and its leader. We're going to meet Poe one more time. But before we do that, Adam, Stamets has been tasked with rebuilding the suit, right? So he's like super-duper busy racing around like a chicken with his head cut off in engineering. Yeah, he's got a dress form standing up in engineering. He's got uh, that guy from Project Runway telling him to avail himself of the uh, bags and the <laughs> Chanel. <laughs> you watch that show. I don't. I mean, really? I know that Tim Gunn is the presenter. Tim Gunn is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know that. Google knows that. <laughs> God, Really fell down a circular stairwell there. So, in a lot of ways, on brand for our show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, Stamets is very busy, but not so busy that he doesn't have time to have a a pretty uh, intense conversation with Dr. Culber. Um, the scene has me worried, Adam. It, uh, <laughs> it does make me feel like I may be doing a power hour. I'm thinking I might take a break. Uh, at, at, at some un, unspecified point in the future of this podcast. That makes me feel great, Ben. I think, I think I'm spot on with this. I think it could be a head faint, though, you know? Like, make you feel like hope is lost before a cathartic end in the, in the last episode. I mean, as long as the plan is separating the two ships and putting one in the future... And putting Culber on the Enterprise, I think the outcome has to be their their separation. Did you think that Culber was saying that he's going to transfer to the Enterprise because he will soon be working for Dr. McCoy? Is McCoy on this era of the Enterprise? I don't know. But I love this version of Stamets being interested in transferring to a station or an academy. Like, that's very comic book Stamets. Yeah. Which is another form of of Star Trek Discovery media that that feels fairly essential. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad we read those. Are there new disco comics being put out? Don't know. You know who would be great at disco comics is our buddy J.K. Woodward. Yeah, he should be he should be doing those. And devising more ways to kill us <laughs> in the process. Yeah, devising loaf we can be in. Jet Reno and Poe 
get to meet each other because uh, they have a second McLaughlin group. Issue two. And this is where Poe does a bunch of flashy, uh, you know, big science energy stuff in front of everybody. And uh, they're like Jet Rito and, and Poe are quippy and and withering in exactly the same ways in this episode. Yeah, it's a real uh, narcissism of minor differences happening. <laughs> Poe is making an energy source. It appears she is the only one that understands it. Tilly is just sort of the girl that hands her the wrenches. And it looks very biological. Existence is paused! It looks like probably a 3D printer was used to make the prop. It looks like it should be wet. Yeah, like uh, it's got like blood vessel yeah. realness. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really cool looking. It's it's really fun to see them kind of step out of Starfleet style design with this show. Yeah. Like I feel like when they go to make a Klingon place or make a make a prop like this, they really go nuts yeah. in a way that uh, that feels like a new level of seriousness for Star Trek. You know, like I can think of so many episodes of greatest gen when we were reviewing next generation episodes where like one thing that an alien has in his hand is like so impressive to us that Mm -hmm. we talked about it for like 10 minutes yeah because usually it's just a a spiky bird or whatever (laughs) right yeah this is not a spiky bird way better than a spiky bird (laughs) this is like the interface right yeah like power goes into this and then out of it into the crystal yeah, and that it is channeling a supernova amount of energy into the crystal. Um, but one thing that is kind of established is that they won't be able to use the crystal once they do this once. Right, it's a one-way trip. This is going to be a big episode of goodbyes, and uh, one of the big goodbyes we get is from Sarek and, and Amanda. They make a special trip of it. Do you think that they washed their shoes before they before they got in the van and, you know, like, because they were walking around on the beach with shoes on. You never really get the sand out of shoes once once it's in them. I kind of like the memory of a sandy place. Like, yeah. That, that's never bothered me. Feels good. <laughs> yeah. How in the hell did Sarek and Amanda beat Contrelin to this point in space? I don't know. I feel like this series of star trek even more than any other place so fast and loose with how much time it takes to get places yeah like even more than tos which like you know in in subsequent star trek series the idea of leaving the quadrant became a huge deal sure and in tos like they routinely like go to other galaxies and shit, you know? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, we're like exploring the Andromeda galaxy this week on on the show. <laughs> and uh, the timing of everything feels utterly convenient to, ma- you know, making dramatic pressure increase. I suppose if you have to sacrifice one for another, then like, this is what you do. You've got to sacrifice that for the sake of of story conflict or story interest or yeah. or whatever. Like, I guess it depends on whether you're a hard sci-fi or a soft sci-fi. Right. Well, as I get older, I find I'm becoming more and more of a soft sci-fi person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's nice. It's nice to hear. This is the part of the episode that begins the Michael Burnham goodbye tour, Ben. Yep. She uh, touches all the bases, beginning with the bridge. In a moment that I found genuinely affecting and angry-making, because think of 20 episodes into season one of TNG. So if this is the 28th episode of Star Trek Discovery, yeah, how much affection do you feel like you had for anyone in the TNG crew at the episode 28 mark. <laughs> I don't feel like I would cry for anyone. This is around, I mean, it's got to be around the time that Tasha Yar died, right? She died way earlier than that because 28 would have been like a couple episodes into season two of TNG. Yeah. I would not have been as affected by 
that, and I was not as affected by the Tasha Yar death as I really was for this goodbye. No one's dying in this moment. Yeah. But the the strength of Sonequa Martin-Green's performance here, like, she's got some kind of cheat code. The show cheats because this isn't earned sentimentality, but it fucking works. It landed on me really hard. Did it work for you? Yeah. I think Michael's Michael Pernum is a great character and I I really like her and um you know this is not even the first time this season we've been sold the bill of goods of this character is going to be gone forever now. Mhm. When they actually follow through on it, it's really going to hit like a ton of bricks. I feel right. like yeah. uh, they've cried wolf many times now. Yeah. Um with actual tears. Yeah. There's a lot of crying on this show. A lot of crying and a lot of screaming. I feel like this is a show that's about emotional extremes. Melodrama is uh, the way we process emotion as a society. Yeah. Not against it. I think uh, uh, it's unfortunate that melodrama is used as a slur a lot of the time. Right. Tilly gets her turn to say goodbye to Michael. It's nice to see Sylvia Tilly back on the show after a little bit of an absence, I think. <laughs> yeah. She's quippy and a little bit of a punchline again in this episode, but like her relationship with Poe, I think, is a strong part of the episode. And her sadness about Michael Burnham does not reach the depths that I expected it to. Like she's kind of a pro about it. Right. Like more emotionally intelligent than uh, than I think she gets credit for a lot of the time. Right. We get a round the horn of a bunch of bridge characters writing letters to loved ones kind of paying their final goodbyes and uh and they they take on a lot of interesting angles you know like owo clearly is writing a letter home to a family that was not necessarily thrilled by her decision to join starfleet seems like detmer's family was more on board with that um Saru expressing sincere love and affection for his sister, who we've actually gotten to meet. Uh, one of the few characters who's you know being addressed in this yeah. in this montage that we know a little bit about. Um, it's very anti Robert McKee. This, yeah. this montage here. Stamets writing a letter home that uh, shows some very poor emotional judgment, which is very on brand for him. Yeah. That's what you want to read if you if you think your brother has died or is on some mission that that has flung him into the future. You really want him to accuse you of being your parents' favorite. <laughs> what an awful final letter to receive. That's great. <laughs> oh man, you can just tell that Stamets's funeral is going to be a lot of people getting up to speak about how you know Stamets was Stamets, you know, yeah. for good or ill. He was really himself, the funeral version of saying, Stamets was a big asshole. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's how to call someone an asshole diplomatically. (laughs) (laughs) We get a a great big kiss between Michael and Ash Tyler. Yeah. They've uh, They've been smooching a lot for two people that are not technically dating. A lot of uh, a lot of cry kissing from Michael Burnham. Yeah, a little uh, little salt to kind of season the kiss. Yeah, we t- we've talked a lot about Stamets and Culber and and what we expect for them as far as whether or not we want them to be together and if they will be. But yeah. we we don't talk nearly enough or or as equally about Michael and Ash. Is that because we care less about whether or not they will? endure as a relationship or do you think the show is doing something that that makes us care less i think that it felt so definitive that they'd broken up but earned back some mutual esteem at the end of season one yeah they didn't it it seemed like you know maybe the door was left open open a crack for them to get back together but it it wasn't going to be the primary concern of a story arc Mm-hmm. And it never felt like a B or a C story of will they, won't they. And I think the stamets Culber relationship really has been an arc this season. They've, right. they've written with a lot of intentionality toward it. That's a great answer. 
it's never felt like uh, like it's from the office. This isn't an office romance. Are you talking about an office romance like the show The Office or just a yeah. romance in an office? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I'm talking about either. Yeah. I never watched it, The Office, so. Huh. I watched, uh, I think I watched one season of the British one, but. I'll stick a pin in that. Pike's ready to go. He's on the bridge ready to say his goodbyes, but. He's got to have a, a we are Starfleet captains speech mm-hmm. and then go around the horn saying a nice thing about everyone. And this is this, this scene made me feel like my wife uh, deciding to head to the restroom when we've heard the announcement that our flight is boarding, you know, because he's making this speech while the countdown timer is on the wall behind him saying how close the shit is to hitting the fan. Right. Uh, <laughs> I just I was just squirming in my seat. Like, don't pause for dramatic effect right now, Chris. <laughs> Great sense of timing though, because he starts it at about like seven minutes and thirty seconds and they walk off the bridge with a solid four minutes left to go. It's hard when you when you're hired at a workplace right as someone is retiring or or like or there's like a big event of this kind. Yeah. And that person feels obligated to say something nice about their team and then they get to you and you're <laughs> lieutenant nilson yeah and all they can say is like boy you really stepped in for uh for the spot of someone that we really loved and missed deeply <laughs> like way to uh way to work their station <laughs> way to or kind whatever. of make make it more about the person they're replacing <laughs> than, than pike has been uh, I want to say Pike's been almost perfect in his ability to lead and treat the people in his care, but this was a rare miss for him, I thought, with Lieutenant Nelson. He clearly pre-wrote the thing he said to Michael Burnham yeah. and, and forgot to write anything for Nelson or <laughs> Spock. In his head, he's going around the room. He's like, oh my God, Nelson's like third up after this. I get, God, what's it going to be? Think, Pike, think. It's those holiday presents that you leave to the last minute, you know? Yeah. Like, you've gotten something great for your mom, got something <laughs> great for your wife, and then, you know, a week out from Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, and you're like, fuck, what am I going to get dad? <sighs> I don't know. Apple Watch? You really get to see Pike's tunic up close, and it looks like the leather from a pair of Timberlands. <laughs> <laughs> It looks really heavy. Yeah, it looks uh, looks like it might be hot. Yeah, Saru cuts him off in a fashion that I think you were aching for, Ben. Because mm-hmm. as the as the timer's counting down, Saru's like, "Come on, dude, we gotta, we gotta." There are bathrooms on the airplane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can use them before you take off. The space around the ships is kind of filling with these weaponized shuttles and worker bees in a fun way too. Like they're they're cutting to exterior in a way to uh, insert some interstitial time in between all of these goodbyes. Yeah. And Giorgio is actually the one that walks Pike and Ash Tyler down to the transporter room to to send them off, send them to the entrepreneur to uh, to make their last stand in this coming battle. And uh, picks, picks this moment to drop to Pike. That I'm Taryn, by the way, from your mirror universe. Very interesting scene, I thought. I thought it was great. I love the Pike wink. Yeah. Pike knew. Pike knew the whole time. What Mary Universe? Why did he know? Because he was briefed on what happened to uh, Lorca when he took command of the disco in the first episode. Oh, was he? Yeah. He was, uh, I remember him clearly saying like he was briefed. He was briefed on everything. Oh. Even the Even the secret stuff. So I, I took that to mean that... Uh, that included the mirror universe. And then why would Giorgio have decided that he needs to know that in this moment? That's the question. That's the main question to me. I don't know. My jet lag addled brain can't get to the bottom of it. Yeah. There's a moment toward the end where Jet Reno gets her turn at the time crystal and then yeah. sees maybe more clips than anyone about uh, about the future ahead, including... The, uh, the saucer section pimple. It's interesting to me that they got the same premonition from the crystal. Because yeah. what Pike got was something super different. Yeah, right? 
It'd be weird if all of them saw the Pike premonition. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> like now I kind of understand why why Pike's been brooding so much lately. Jeez. <laughs> How yeah. do you think he shits in that thing? Yeah, you see just a cavalcade of characters finding some time to put one <laughs> hand on Pike's shoulder and make like Ugh. sympathetic eye contact with him like, hey, sorry about that premonition. Yeah, uh, <laughs> good luck trying to we are Starfleet Pike post premonition. It's going to be hard. <laughs> I don't think he's going to fall for that. The captain of the entrepreneur is in his seat. Acting Captain Saru is on board the disco, and uh, he's ordering everybody to prepare for battle. We fade to black as the 30 Section 31 ships surround the two good guy ships. Were you expecting a to-be-continued? If they were ever going to do it, Ben, it would have been here. I know. Like, get him up on the screen, Contrelin's up there. Right. Making a threat. We rack in to Saru's face. Yeah. He says, fire. Come on. Come on. Well, so here is an interesting uh, difference uh, that I discovered in watching this on Netflix, Adam, is uh, no no next time on Star Trek Discovery. Wow. Yeah. That's a, uh, that is a broadcast television network technology that Netflix really doesn't fuck with. And so... uh, (laughs) It was, uh, like, I, I think I understood that instinctively, but it didn't, like, as a thought technology, it hadn't really even clicked into place until I watched this episode on Netflix that, uh, that that's why, that's why we get those little vasectomies at the end of every episode. So as a trained American television viewer, did you miss it? No. No, I think it's better to cut the credits. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But uh did not ha- expect that to be your answer. I came home and, and watched it on CBS All Access, so I got that. But uh before we get to any of that stuff, Adam, I have a question. Did you like this episode? Yeah. I really <laughs> did. I liked it a lot. It's an interesting episode because it's like not really it's all table setting, you know? This episode full on choked me up a couple of times and I I can't believe it had that power over me. Yeah. I mean, I watched it on a plane, so it makes sense. Yeah. Airplanes make you cry. Yeah, that's true. Like those, they do eyes up three times in this app and every single one of them was affecting. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Like, it seems like this episode is making the case for standing at parade rest being the Starfleet equivalent of saluting somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I got that too. Uh, Really strong episode. Like, it's... uh. Things are really gathering to a point here yeah. that uh, I'm very excited to see. Yeah, I uh, I feel I feel the same way as you do. You were talking about the preview to the next episode. What do you think is going to happen from here? Contreland is overcome in a way that sends him into a far-flung part of the galaxy, A, which <laughs> leaves the door open to him being the bored progenitor, but not uh, not in a way that specifically connects that. So this would be like a Delta Quadrant situation, right? Uh, I, th- I think that I think they will imply it, but not say it. Mm-hmm. I think Stamets and Culber get back together. Um, I think the decision by Ash Tyler to re like like recommit himself to Section Thirty One will. Uh, like something will come out of Michael Burnham's mouth about how that means they can't be together ever. Whoa. Like, I think that she'll understand his reasons for doing it, but I think that she won't uh, be able to make an effort any anymore. And I think that we will have a, a, like, I think the end of the episode will be some fun goof around like the end of last season that, um, that teases who the captain will be on the next season. But I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be Saru or Michael Burnham. Neither. Yeah. Interesting. Now, let's hear from somebody who is coherent and can think straight. <laughs> what are your predictions? I agree with your prediction of of Borg Progenitor. I think that's a neat idea. Should they, should they win this battle or should the mission succeed in that way? 
I think Calypso gives us an interesting hint about what could happen once the ship is dropped off into the future. Like, in my mind, I was like, well, the crew can't go with Discovery into the future because that ship is empty when we see it in Calypso. But then I thought, of course they can. The crew can go into the future and spend season three there, where together with Michael Burnham, they work with Michael's mom to create a technology that they can use to go back to their original time and leave the ship behind where it's found in Calypso. Wow. Like, I think that's what season three is going to be. I think season three is going to be the most most future Star Trek we've ever seen. (laughs) I have an insane prediction. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think this is what they're actually going to do, but what if all of the stuff about new Picard series has been a smoke show to conceal that Picard is the captain on season three? (laughs) (laughs) I also wonder if... And this is not to say that this is successful, but I think the groundswell of support for Anson Mount and Captain Pike will be such that by the time Star Trek Las Vegas comes around, there will be an announcement about a series that features Pike. What about a movie? And all the stuff that they built. Yeah. This Enterprise set is too good to destroy. They've got to keep it. That's a million dollar set, probably. I think something's happening. And I think that's what's going to happen. Also, Culber and Stamets, not getting back together. Wow. Well, we'll find out the uh, the result of our terrible bet. Yeah. <laughs> In a week. I'm excited. Before we find out, do you want to check, uh, see if we have any Priority One messages? Yes. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from famed producer Bruce Dickinson. And the message is for Ben and Adam Cult. You see mm. where this is going, right? This mm. is a, this is an SNL reference. Oh, yeah. Uh, the message goes like this. More jazz horse. <laughs> and that's it. Message received. Yeah. Famed producer Bruce Dickinson. We're trying to build up some show runway here. And once we do, I think I'll have more time for Twitch streaming. But uh, for now, I'm, I'm going on Twitch hiatus for uh, for the short term, I would say. Well, I mean, last uh, wasn't, wasn't last week's Greatest Discovery a Jazz Horse update? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing stopping us from playing the game and updating each other. That's, yeah. that's I mean, totally there, there are do. things stopping us. All of the um, huge amounts of work we have made for ourselves. The relationships that we have in our lives. Yeah. Like, there, there's no shortage of barriers. To this. <laughs> uh, Adam, our second Priority One message is also of a personal nature. It's from Kevin, and it's for Ben and Adam. goes like this. You don't understand. I didn't just watch one episode. I watched all episodes. Everywhere. Even Enterprise. There's only one podcast, or maybe two, to fit my crime. Thanks for being there for me every week. Wow. Oh, that's fun. This person did a lot of work. Yeah. All episodes everywhere. One day, far into the future, we'll be able to say that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if we'll ever do animated series. (laughs) Yeah. No. We'll be old men at that point. Yeah, yeah. Really old. Very, very old. They'll be making us watch different cartoons in the old folks' home by then. Well, if you would like to leave a Priority One message, you know what to do. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. We really appreciate it. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do. 
When your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. Uh, when they get onto the entrepreneur and the self-destruct doesn't work, it really feels for Saru like one of those things where sometimes you do something in business that very publicly fails in front of all of your coworkers, <laughs> and the first thing out of your mouth is an attempt to kind of cover for that failure, but everybody knows that you kind of blew it. And uh, that's kind of what Saru goes through in this moment, that cover your ass uh, of like, what? That's impossible when the self-destruct fails. Saying that's impossible about something that you failed at, I think is great. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do that more often. I want to have that amount of self-confidence. There's something wrong with your audio, Adam. Yeah. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That scene made me think a lot about what I would take with me if I were to abandon ship. And there is a guy who brings a potted plant with him <laughs> as he is leaving the discovery. And uh, that's my Shimoda. I just think that's great. Of all of the things, like the, people have loaded up their Pelican torpedo-shaped suitcases with, with valuable items. Yeah. But to one person who we don't see, it's a bird of paradise plant, I think. <laughs> Better take that with you. 
Interesting that Saru does not take a potted plant, but instead a knife. Yeah. Hey, here's a prediction. Hmm. Saru stabs Contreland with a knife. Oh, damn. I really like that. Yeah. Would it do anything, though? You've been pruned. I mean, he's gotten hit by a lot of phaser blasts. Yeah. There would have to be... Like, maybe there's a thing, like... Like the way that the gray goo was magnetized a couple episodes ago. Like, yeah. I wonder if there's a way to to freeze Contreland and then stab him in such a way that, that he dies. Beam an MRI machine over to his ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Saru looks into the into the view screen and he's like, stay completely still. <laughs> 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 we we could just go now, right? Rob can take it oh take it away. It's it's time for Ben's nap. Yeah. That's that's what I've learned at the Daddy end of this needs to episode go of Star Trek Discovery. Uh thanks for spending almost an entire second season with us. We're very excited to bring you the season finale of season two next week. And with that, we will give it to Rob's for production. Thanks, Rob's. Thank you. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison, and it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.